All right, and we're recording. How are you doing today, Christine? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. I uh, right before this podcast, I <laughs> I decided that I was going to because before every podcast, I release something the the day previous, um, just kind of explaining what the po- the next podcast is going to be about and whatnot. Well, <laughs> today, I I released what the episode tomorrow is going to be about. And um, I think, I think I'm getting canceled because of it. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) People are not happy. I interviewed a a Republican politician who's running for governor here in Michigan. And Mm -hmm. yeah, the feedback isn't good so far, but it's kind of interesting to watch because I don't usually get this much engagement and I'm getting, I'm getting an insane amount of engagement now. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah, that is. Yeah. So enough of me. Um, how are you doing? Yes, uh, I'm doing good. And uh, it's, um, well, the weather's actually nice now. There's no snow on the ground. So um, that's good for April. And you're from Canada, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're in Canada, Alberta. Ah, uh, that sounds, it, it sounds like it would be beautiful there. From everything I've heard, it sounds beautiful in, in our, or in uh, Alberta. Is that correct? Yeah. It's beautiful. It's the the weather. I think everybody that's from here, the the weather is kind of hit or miss. So uh, <laughs> we get snow in April, maybe even May. We never really know how May long weekend's gonna go. So um, yeah, our winters are very interesting. Yeah, I get that from being from Michigan. It's uh, it, Michigan winters suck. It's always on and off. You never know what to expect. It's very yeah. frustrating. Um, all right, so let's uh, kind of jump into your story. Are you? Yes. Obviously, you live in Canada now. Are you from there? Were you born and raised there? Tell me yes. a little bit about yourself. Yeah, born and raised in Canada. I initially grew up actually out. Um, well, I uh, grew up in Millwoods, which is in Edmonton. Um, and then from there, I ended up moving out to an acreage that was kind of just outside of Shear Park. And I think I was there probably from grade four to about grade 10 um you know kind of being isolated I had to bike I had to um it was funny I always tell a story I had to bike miles miles away to just go see like a couple of my friends um I think the intention at the time from my mom was to you know keep me out of trouble keep me out in the country and I think it kind of ended up maybe doing the opposite because I was more isolated you know I kind of was like okay I want to live that city life I need to kind of explore that um, which kind of leads me into where my life kind of started taking a turn. So, um, so did you find yourself hanging around like, uh, just bad crowds and. Initially, I, I think I just kind of dabbled in, um, well, so my mom, she was a heavy alcoholic. So I think I initially kind of started partying and, um, you know, drinking, uh, smoking a little bit of cannabis here. To me, it was kind of like the natural the natural way of, hey, I'm in my teenager years, it's time to kind of party. And um, uh, I ended up getting moved over to my grandma's because my mom at the time just couldn't, uh, she didn't really want to deal with like the crazy teenager stage. She was young when she had me, she was 16. So Mm. um, she was quite young. And what ended up happening is I was in grade 10 and staying with my grandma and uh, I, um, I think just that feeling of like isolation, being sent away constantly, you know, my mom was out partying quite a bit. So I did 
go through like a lot of isolation. I kind of just said like, screw this, I'm taking off, I'm going to the city. And that's when I kind of got introduced to um, the wrong crowd at that time. Wow. And you were 10 at that time? I was 14. 14? Yeah. Wow. That's a, an extremely young age. Um, yeah, I get that, though, because, I mean, you probably just wanted to have fun and hang out with people your own age and do what everybody else is doing, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I get that, because I, I was kind of in that in that spot at one point where I was... Um, my parents were kind of overbearing as far as not letting me do things that like some of the other kids my age were doing. And so it just, it really just made me want to do those things even more. And, yeah, it was like an echo again. Oh. Um, I don't know if it's my microphone. It might be mine. It might be because my window's open. I could try and close it real quick. No, you're fine. No, it might be my microphone. Um, Okay, so uh, yeah, back to what I was saying. Um, so yeah, it just made me want to do those things even more. And that's one thing I realized like as a parent is that I, I, I don't want to do those. Are you still there? Oh, there we go. It was okay. frozen. Hold, hold on a second. I'm sorry. It's okay. I, uh, I had to unplug this. There we go. Okay. Um, that's one thing that as a parent, it made me realize that I didn't want to be like that with my kids. Like if there was something that they wanted to do that, you know, um, and I didn't want them to do, it, I don't want to like push it too much because then it's just going to push them to want to do it even more. Yeah, exactly. I think like without trauma, like I don't want to do too much, too much trauma dumping, they kind of call it. But I think right. within my childhood, I, uh, you know, I did see a lot of, um, like, there was, like, the sexual abuse, um, kind of just with the partying, that's kind of what came with, you know, my mom was young, she was partying, she drank quite a bit, so we were left unattended quite a bit, mm. um, and then, like I said, I was really isolated, once we kind of moved out to the country, it was, like, very sheltered, in a sense, of not really understanding things that do go on in the real world, and, you know, the effects that drugs might have on people, and, you know, homelessness, and everything like that, until I was already, entrenched in drugs and homelessness right. so it was kind of like a big shock to my system because I was never really prepared like hey this is these like drugs are dangerous and maybe don't try crystal meth for the first time or <laughs> <laughs> right it's, it's not fun and it's not a party drug right but I I unfortunately didn't have like some of those life lessons because you know I went from like trauma isolation and then like restriction, right? Right. This episode is brought to you by Red Bike Delivery. This delivery service operates only using battery-powered, eco-friendly transportation. Red Bike Delivery is there for all your delivery needs, whether it's dinner for the family, flowers for your partner, or new houseplants for your new collection. Red Bike Delivery will gladly deliver those and everything in between. So what are you waiting for? Check out Red Bike Delivery on Facebook or Instagram for more information. Red Bike Delivery, because there's only one Earth. So, so at what point did it start to take a turn for the worse? Because um, you're obviously partying, living it up. And at some point, you end up going to prison, correct? Yes. At what, what, what led to that? I would definitely say, I think the biggest thing is once I left to the city and I 
I, I met some people at a, the shelter and it was like, hey, there's this crystal meth, you should try some. And then it's oh, like, I, yeah. So as soon as I tried crystal meth, I was like, well, I love this stuff. This stuff is great. I feel amazing. Like I'm like a superhuman. I was instantly, obviously addicted. I was quite young at the time. Um, and then from there, I think I just kind of spiraled into um, crime, you know, trying to really be able to supply myself with my own drug addiction. You know, I started losing all my relationships with my family. I didn't really want to um, be around them with the, with the substance use. And um, my stepfather ended up passing away when I was in treatment at about 17. Wow. And for me, I think it was the day before I was supposed to graduate. He ended up passing away in his sleep. Um, so I got out, you know, I tried to do as good as I could while I was trying to grieve and stay sober. And I think I stayed sober for a couple months. And then after that, I was just like, you know what, screw this. I'm going to start doing drugs again. Um, and I think it was two days after my 18th birthday, I ended up getting arrested and going, uh, for my first stint in prison. Wow. Yeah. That's so crazy. You live such a, like such a, a wild life at a very young age. Like you have so much life experience before you turn 18. It's yeah. kind of crazy. Um, now when you went to prison or jail, uh, did you go to prison or was it like, was it jail at first? Uh, jail at first and then I ended up yeah so lots of provincial time at first and then I ended up my my final uh, my final time was in a federal prison now how long did you spend in there so probably from the age of 18 to the age of 24 I have probably done majority of that time in and out of uh, jail so lots of like small, um, anywhere from six months to 18 months um, in the jail systems. I've kind of been all over the place. They kind of send you wherever there's room. So I've been in like the Remand. I've been in Port Saskatchewan um, prison. That's kind of when you go there and you get sentenced to like more like six months plus. And then I've been in Lethbridge and I've been in Calgary prison. Um, <laughs> That is so crazy. Now, going into prison at a very young age, is it scary going in as a young person? Yeah, when I was 18, you know, it was a shock to the system for sure. I mean, I was kind of already street entrenched at the time. I, I experienced, um, you know, uh, a lot of street life. I was, um, you know, couch surfing and kind of just sleeping where I could lay my head um, safely sometimes not safely um so yeah definitely my first time I got arrested it was two days before Christmas so my birthday's three days three days before Christmas so I had got um right around the Christmas time there and I would say definitely my first experience um when I was at that age was uh I wouldn't say it was scary it was definitely like a oh shit like I'm in jail now and I gotta get my shit together you kind of go into a a fight or flight mode where you're like, hey, well, I don't want anybody to beat me up. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm gonna mind my own business, you know, try and keep your, you know, you try to keep to yourself and it doesn't ever really work. You know, you kind of end up becoming entrenched in this um, this jail edit etiquette kind of per se, right? So you kind of have to 
you know, know your P's and Q's, you know, mind your own business, you know, you don't talk to certain people. And um, like I said, you're kind of in survival mode, even though you're, you're, you're in jail. And for me, it was like, Hey, I have like a warm place to be. It's the winter time. You know, I have three, three meals a day, but you're still always in this survival mode. Like you always have to watch your back. Now, how was your time in prison? Um, did, was it fairly easy? Were you able to acclimate to the to your environment pretty pretty well? I would say I definitely think that I became more of a meaner person. I think you kind of become a shell version of yourself. Mm. Kind of become this person that you. I don't think like I'm definitely not that person now. You know, I'm a mom and I'm a site manager now, um, but when you're in jail, you kind of have to be this shell version of yourself to be really protective, right? So right. Um, I, I, I spent a lot of time fighting and a lot of time, you know, locked up in segregation. <laughs> um, I wasn't the best behaved. <laughs> <laughs> now, coming out, you said you came out when you were 24 years old. What was that like? Coming out of jail, being a part of uh, the system at that point, being... Uh, institutionalized for for that amount of time did that have any effects on your life once you came out and the way you reacted to normal society yeah um yeah so at 24 I actually ended up that's when I got my longer stint and I actually got um sentenced to seven years in federal prison oh wow yeah so um they kind of say there's this rock bottom that you have to hit before you get sober and I feel like that was definitely my rock bottom um, I feel like definitely, uh, the, the judge ended up throwing more of a book at me and, huh. uh, really kind of laid it down considering I think my criminal history and that was a huge eye opener. I think at that time I finally got my shit together and I kind of straightened out and I said like, this is a huge, like my twenties are gone. My twenties <laughs> are gone. I'm going to be 30 by the time I'm done all my conditions. Like my life is it was a huge shock to me. Like I was like, my life is essentially like over. I have all, all my twenties are gone. Um, so it was then in federal prison when I kind of made the decision, like, Hey, get your shit together. Like, do you want to be doing this for the rest of your life? Or do you want a different life? Um, and that's unfortunately with the system that we have here in uh, Canada is, um, you don't really get any programming. You don't really get any help until, you hit federal prison. <laughs> there's no, there's no rehabilitation in provincial jail. Well, I feel probably, like. be- probably because there's money to be made in it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's kind of when I said, okay, I'm going to do the program. I'm going to do my schooling. I'm going to work with, uh, I worked with the chaplain there and he was just, I think he changed my life. You know, I had codependency issues. I, I had boundary issues. I didn't have a I didn't have boundaries. I remember going to the boundary program and I was like, I broke down in tears because I was like, I literally have no boundaries because you wear that shell for so long, right? So you're like, you let people walk all over you. You're walking all over people. Like you just don't have any any sense of boundaries um, from that lifestyle. So when I eventually got, um, I uh, ended up getting accepted into a minimum, minimum security program that was when I started kind of reintegrating back into society. And how was, how was that? Like, was it, was it difficult? Was it, 
Yeah, it was difficult. Um, somebody kind of runs your life, right? And it's kind of something, I guess, being institutionalized, you're kind of used to, but they need to know like you're every single move, right? Like you're being watched under a microscope and there's tons of people that basically have every decision, like they have such a huge part in your life and where you go. And if you go back to jail, nobody wants to go back to jail, right. especially for that long, right? So yeah. my bank accounts were watched. Um, my, my spending was watched. Um, where I was allowed to go, I had to be, you know, supervised and staffed up to be able to go into the community. Um, so I definitely think that it was difficult. Um, and for people who aren't ready, it's, I think the way that things are set up um, can be overwhelming for some people. Um, yeah. um, now, when you came out of prison, what, what was that like? Did you immediately jump back into like the workforce? Did you, I mean, what was life like for you at that point? Um, yeah. Did you, did you have any goals also? I did. I, I had goals, but um, you're kind of forced to get back into the to the work field, right? So it's like, hey, you're out, you're a community member now. The expectation is that you contribute. So it's like, here, go get this job and we're going to maintain your finances. Um, so for me, my goal was, I think at that time, like my goal was just to finish my time and I think eventually have less restrictions um, and just try and live like more of a quote unquote normal um life yeah <laughs> um I I finished some of my schooling <clears throat> I think I definitely my goal um coming through all that is to try and educate people who are on parole and try and share the things that I kind of wasn't told like hey take the time to do your school take the time to get your degree um especially with what I'm going through now, like take your time to do that stuff. Don't rush into the work field um, until you're kind of more ready, mm. but they kind of just force that on you. So uh, what kind of things are you going through now that you? Um, now, so it, I initially had made the decision to work within like the animal vet field. Um, I did that for a couple years. You know, I kind of worked my way up. I went into some leadership positions and I kind of, had said like I need to do more and I need to do more with the people who are like me I want to do more with you know people who have um lived experience of addictions and mental health and you know um some institutional trauma and stuff so I had applied for this position within housing and it's um kind of transitional housing working with people who do have mental health and addictions and it's actually a harm reduction model and Initially, when I first started, it was, again, another shock to the system. I think being around people who were still using substances, um, it was a big trigger. And I think really, um, I had a great supervisor who was able to mentor me around like, hey, this will be triggering. You are going to see people smoking meth and you are going to see people under the influence. Um, and then I kind of just started getting used to it. And I had a whole different lens to look at when I, when I started working within the field a little bit more. And now I love it. I don't think that I want to work anywhere else other than harm reduction. Now, would you say that, I mean, I'm sure you would, but would you say that uh, drug addiction and alcohol addiction 
um, and any form of addiction really is a, a disease. I, yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I have a, I have such a weird, um, lens when it comes to substance use and addictions and even mental health. I, there's so many factors, like there's so many, it's, it's not just like, Hey, this person chose to do drugs or it's not like, Hey, this person chose to have mental health, you know? So I definitely would say, yeah, it would, it's a form of a disease and it's also, um, like trauma responses and, um, it's just so much more than, Hey, that person's choosing to, you know, stick that needle in their arm or that person's choosing to overdose, uh, multiple times a day. Like that's not, I always try to advocate for people. Cause that's not really, that's not the choice per se that they're making. Like there's just so much more to substance use than <clears throat> a choice. Well, I think it's, it's an easy way to kind of look at somebody, uh, abusing, um, a substance to think like, oh, wow, they're just being selfish because they're just trying to get their fix or they're just trying to get their high. Whereas like, they don't understand like some of the things that maybe they had gone through that got them to that point. And then now they just can't stop. And, yeah. and it, it literally makes them feel, you know, it makes them feel great <laughs> mm-hmm. because of, you know, their past. Yeah. I had to deal, you know, I had to deal with my trauma probably over and over like they make you in treatment they make you go like it's almost you have to do this trauma timeline and you have to go from like your first traumatic memory which is like so triggering and you do it in a room full of people and you're like hey guess what like I was sexually abused at this age and it's just to me I think the process is um can be very triggering so it's it's an obvious as to why a lot of people aren't doing that work because it's it's a lot and it's a lot to handle. And if you add in like institutional trauma and you add in residential school trauma and you know, it's just, yeah, I, it's hard work. Now, do you think that going through prison, um, the prison system, the jail system and all the legal trouble you've been in, do you think it's helped shape a better version of yourself? What kind of path do you, could you picture yourself going down if you hadn't gotten into trouble when you did and been locked up when you were I honestly think I wouldn't be here today if I hadn't gotten arrested I was in a really um uh violent relationship like domestic violence uh relationship at the time so I really had jail as my only option at the time and I think that uh it's interesting I advocate for um so many of my people that I work with now and Sometimes I make that recommendation as like um, a leader within the field. I, I make a recommendation saying like, hey, maybe maybe prison is a is a good option for them because, you know, that's kind of where I was able to get my shit together. And, I, you know, people think that they're doing you a favor by, hey, let's give them conditions and hey, let's let's see if they can succeed by going to a, a treatment and then being on house arrest. And it's like. Sometimes people just really aren't ready for that. And, you know, prison you kind of just end up dealing with your consequences, but then you also have access to programming and stuff, right? So yeah, I definitely think that um, going to prison was um, like a miracle in my life and definitely helped me get the help that I needed. You know, it's it's kind of interesting that you said that because it, it made me think about my friend. Um, his name was uh, Cullen, and he ended up committing suicide uh, a while back. Um, but I seen him go down this path, and it was interesting because when I 
had he, he started working at the same place I work at. And when he started working there, he like was on the straight and narrow, but he was on the straight and narrow because he was on probation mm-hmm. and, you know, he was doing so good. You know, he just was living a good life. And yeah. then, um, then he got off probation and then you can kind of see him like he's starting to drink a little bit more. He's starting to dabble in some drugs. And then next thing you know, he's like off the rails and he ends up putting, or he ends up, you know, committing suicide. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't think any of that would have happened if he had been, you know, on probation still. And it's kind of interesting that like some people, you know, all it takes is for them to be put on probation and then they, they kind of straighten up, but then other people kind of still need that guidance. They, I don't know what it is about. (laughs) I don't know what it is. Yeah. Like I'm lucky. I think mine was so long. Like I had such a long stint that like once I got into, into the community, it was so much on the line where I was just like, no, I'm, I, I can't mess around. And by the time that I had, um, I actually just finished my parole about five years ago now. And by the time I was done, you know, I, I had already created this life for myself. You know, I already had my first child, um, gave birth to my first child. So, um, for me, it was kind of like a no brainer, like this is my life. And there really isn't a different path for me at this point, you know, and I, I got to a point where I can even now be exposed to substances, you know, and people who are under the influence and, you know, I can be around, um, the people that I had to not be around for so long. Right. And, and, um, it's funny, sometimes I run into them within the work that I do. And it's, um, it's nice because I can kind of plant that seed for my friends too, saying like, you know, some of them are like, wow, I, I never would have thought you would have ever been sober. Like the, the you used to be, you were on drugs for life and, <laughs> and prison systems for life. Like, uh, and, and so for me, I'm like, well, I'm so happy I can plant that seed for other people. Right. And kind of, um, uh, kind of pave the way and say like, it is possible. Right. Um, that's funny. That's funny that you say that people talk, talk about you and like, wow, that's, that's amazing that you're not on drugs anymore, that you're not in prison anymore. Like they, yeah. that's the most that they expected of you. <laughs> yeah. Well, cause I had, that was my life for 10 years. Right. So every, all the relationships I had built other than obviously with my family was kind of, um, that person, like that's who I was. Right. Um, and I think that that's, that's such a powerful powerful message in itself is like yeah that was the person I was and now look at the person I am now um so really anything's possible for 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 anybody well and that's the whole purpose of the rising above podcast is you know you you could have been one thing at one point in time um but that doesn't matter it's who you are today that matters it's what you've done with those bad situations those experiences that you've gone through that has made you a better person overall and it sounds like to me that you know, you've used the experiences that you've gone through as a way to kind of help shape who you are as a person today to help and to help other people that, you know, struggle with some of the same things you struggled with. Yeah, that's my goal. That's my goal. I want to, um, yeah, I would love to like, just write a book one day and kind of like what you're doing, like have my own podcast. And, um, you know, I've started TikTok to kind of start talking about it. And now I'm, uh, you know, within community work right so now I end up working sometimes with people that I know from my past and they're like oh it's so crazy to see you and I'm like I know like you could do so good too (laughs) (laughs) 
you know so. i think that i think that's important too with the kind of work that you're doing is that people can see especially people that know you from your past they like they know what you used to be like and then they see where you are today and they're like oh i guess i can get my shit together too because you know she got her shit together yeah i think that's important it is and even the people i work with you know i uh having that lived experience and being able to share it with people and just say hey like i get it like i I was in jail and I know exactly what it's like. And, you know, I can make recommendations like with my case management, I can make recommendations to the people that I work with. And, you know, they're real recommendations. They're not textbook recommendations. They're like, Hey, I was in jail and this is my experience. And I really think that, you know, you should really think about, you know, instead of being on a house arrest, maybe collapse your sentence and, and, and look at the resources that are available to you or, um, you know, just really real recommendations. And it gives me an opportunity to build like this, this trust and this foundation with the people that I work with that there's such a value on not having just textbook, you know, the social work degree or right. um, it's still valuable 100%. And I want to eventually work towards mine. But I think having that, that experience and saying like, I've been there, and I know what it's like, and this is what I did. Yeah, I, I definitely think the experience is everything because I mean you could be fresh out of college with a social work degree but not have any clue what these people are going through and they won't resonate with them because they're like well you don't know what I'm dealing with but somebody who doesn't necessarily have an education and then comes in is like hey you know I've experienced these same exact things I understand how you're feeling I understand why you would be addicted I understand why you're doing some of the things you're doing and this is how you can start to change I think that resonates a lot better with people. At least it does with me. Like I've never been addicted to anything, but like when somebody comes to me with experience, as opposed to telling me how I should do something because they have uh, an education in something, like I don't resonate with those people. I resonate with the people who like learn from their experience. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's like one of my, one of my big goals that I'm working on right now is just trying to place like a stronger value on people with lived experience within community work, right? Because there's, there's so much stigmatism around people like myself, you know, like, if you look at it from like a risk management kind of point of view, which is what a lot of human resources people have to do, you know, they're always like, okay, well, this person's a risk, right? They have a criminal record. And they, they, they used to use substances and it's like, yeah, I am a risk, but I'm also a, um, an asset, right? Mm, and it's like, yeah. I really wish that we could have more of a clear process around like, I get the risk part, but like, let's focus on, you know, have a clear process and talk to people and let them share their stories before you just say, no, they have a criminal record. I'm not hiring them or. Well, I, I think it's, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it all depends, right? Like it's something like, like let's say you're applying for a, a pharmacy position, like that yeah. might not necessarily be the greatest job. Yeah. And it might be critical to look at somebody's past in that. But like to say that you're not able to do certain things because you have a criminal past or like, we're not going to hire you, even at some of the most simplest jobs, the most simplest careers to, and say, you know, we're not going to hire you because you have a criminal record or a drug past or whatever. It's completely absurd that that irritates the crap out of me yeah and you know it's unfortunate because we see it a lot especially within like think like community work right and that's that's kind of um uh, what i'm trying to work towards is like really trying to talk about 
why, why are we doing that in community work? Like community work, when we're working with people who have mental health and addictions and, you know, have a, ha, are going through that, I think people with um, lived experience of um, all of those things are, are um, a huge value, right? Now, yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Um, how do you plan on changing that stigma a little bit? Obviously you said you'd like to do like a podcast. Um, you have a TikTok a channel or is it called a channel <laughs> page whatever account yeah. i don't know yeah. <laughs> um, so you're obviously bringing some awareness to some of the things that are stigmatized um how do you plan on changing it on like a bigger scale do you have any plans for that i do um so my plan is to i'm slowly working my way up so right now i'm a site manager um eventually what i'm, I'm sorry i'm sorry can you explain oh. what a site manager is yes i'm from the united states we don't know <laughs> so um so i'm a site manager within the housing um sector and what that means is i essentially run like a whole house so i'm kind of like the the head of a house and i kind of run like the operations piece from there so um i have people who do like um like the day-to-day -day, people who do admin and then people who do frontline like i i still do a lot of frontline because it's just kind of where my heart is i'm really hands-on um, and then from there, there's a program manager. So the program manager kind of looks after like the whole program as a whole. And then there's event, and then there's the senior director of housing. So my goal right now is I'm working towards getting my degree. Um, and then I want to be in a position um, that's more higher up, kind of like in the senior director kind of um, lens and then kind of work my way, like be able to create change from there, right? So really placing a value on like, hey, let's have a really clear process around hiring people with lived experience. And what is our process? If they have criminal records, are we talking to them? Are we seeing, okay, what are you doing right now? You know, like, how are you, how have you changed your life? Like, that's what I've been given an opportunity to do um, is like share my story and say like why I would be an asset, the things that I've worked on, because it is um, a powerful message and I need to talk about it instead of just looking at a criminal record and just saying no. So my goal is to kind of, um, uh, yeah, change the process. It's kind of from up here. Now, is that something that like, once you start working in, uh, the upper, I guess, like upper management type field, um, is that something you could possibly work with like other employers to help, um, other people who are uh, uh, out of prison, out of jail, whatever, um, get jobs and like maybe help change the way they do things. Is that something yeah. that you can Like do? a program, I'd like to run like a program almost of like, um, kind of like what you said. Yeah, like a program that all employers would kind of like choose, hey, I wanna participate in this or I don't. A lot of non-for-profit I think would be interested in participating because a lot of them, you know, um, advertise that they they hire people with lived experience, right? So mm -hmm. I think if there was a clear program around like a really clear process, right? Of like, hey, and it could be like an indigenous approach saying, hey, like, let's sit down, let's have a sharing circle. Let's talk about, you know, where you were and where you're at now. And um, really, I think have a stronger value on, of course, like there's that risk management piece, but then also like letting people share their story and tell their story and having people who are gonna listen um yeah that would be my ideal i think it, it's extremely empowering for people um even when you're going through something to share your story because it allows you to kind of just put everything out there it allows other people to listen and then 
by other people listening and engaging with you based on your story and experiences, it's like, it's kind of like a, like a burden off your shoulders. And essentially, like, I can't really explain it. Like I've, I'm obviously having people on the podcast, they tell me all the time, like how it feels to share their story. And then like me sharing my story on my podcast, like it was like a huge burden off my shoulders. It just felt so good to just talk about it. I could imagine having like a, a space and a place for some of those people to share some of the things they've gone through would be extremely valuable. I think it's so healing and, and, you know, also having people who are mindful of, you know, it could be very triggering and it can be, you can be in a really vulnerable position as well. Right. So having a really safe, safe space to do so. And that's why I really like, like the indigenous approach, because, you know, you, it creates like this safe space, right. You're, you're you're having people who are kind of talking in a circle you're not you're not sitting there with your like myself institutional trauma right you're not sitting there in front of a panel and you know exposing yourself it's more of like hey let's have a conversation let's sit in a circle and let's talk right yeah I think being mindful of that process too and how the process I guess is kind of implemented would be really important yeah, absolutely. People want to feel like it's just intimate. They don't want to feel like they're having to stand up in front of a group of people and they're given like some sort of lecture <laughs> of some yeah. sort, you know, like it's that that puts you in the spotlight. But when you're like going around a, a circle, it's almost like you're at a campfire hanging out with a bunch of friends, just chatting back and forth, sharing yeah, stories. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, now, coming out of prison, what kind of things did you have to deal with? Uh, like, obviously you were institution institutionalized for a very long time. Was there like certain barriers that you had to kind of learn to break down and, um, and change in order to, uh, account, like what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, not accommodate, but reacclimate to society. Sorry. Had to think about that word. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny. I can only think of little things and they're so silly, but I, um, like, this may sound so silly, but like simple things like making a pot of coffee. It's interesting because like I didn't, I didn't really know how to make a pot of coffee because I had been so street entrenched. I've never really needed to, right? So I remember the first time I got to prison and I tried to make a pot of coffee, you know, the girls were kind of like, what are you doing? And I was like, I have no idea. Like, I actually don't know. <laughs> and, you know, like things like cooking, um, you know, I, it's funny, I learned most of my skills in prison. So, um, once I kind of got out, not a lot of things weren't really a shock to me. Um, like I learned how to cook for, you know, a household of 10 women and there was like an expectation and I learned how to grocery shop in prison and I learned how to, um, you know, do so many things and sorry. No, you're good. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I had to learn to do so much. Right. And so I think when I got out of prison, the biggest thing that I had to learn was, um, I think driving, driving and accessing public transportation. And um, yeah, those are kind of the main things. Um, I, I don't know. I try to think of like other, I want to say sometimes maybe even my social interactions as well. Yeah, that was one thing I was going to ask you um, because <laughs> like going in prison for so long, you come out, like you go in and things are different, right? Like I'm sure when you went in, cell phones weren't as big and technology is not as big. And then when you come out, um, it's advanced, like at an extreme rate. Was mm -hmm. that, how was that? Was it significantly, significantly different? 
So Costco, Costco, my mind was blown when I first went to Costco. I had, I had no idea, like, yeah, so definitely like cell phones, that all changed. But I remember my first trip to Costco and I was like, this is insane. It's like a VIP place for like a warehouse VIP. You need a special card to get in here and you get access to like all this stuff in bulk. And I think that was one of my like big realizations where I came out of jail is like Costco is so cool. Like it, it's like a VIP memberships, members only kind of space, right? And shout out to Costco. If they yeah, want to give a sponsorship, that'd be awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. So um uh, yeah, and like getting used to iPhones. I think I, I I'm still with an iPhone because that's the first phone um that I got when I got out of prison. So I I literally can't use Samsung's for the life of me because it's just I've become so climatized to to an iPhone now, right? So yeah, you should stick with an iPhone. Right? Okay, good. <laughs> I think we're on the same page. Yeah, definitely on the same page. Yeah. Um now what does life look like for you? Obviously you have kids now, you're married, you're not creating trouble, I don't think. <laughs> um what is what's life look like for you? What what do you see yourself accomplishing within the next, I don't know, year to five years? Aside from, um, aside from what you would like to accomplish at work. Yes. Um, I think for me, um, well, we, we, we bought our first home a few years ago. I think we're on uh, our fifth year here coming up. Um, so our goal now is to upgrade in regards to our house and try and get into um, a single home. We're kind of in like a duplex. We bought a duplex, um, a fourplex. Mm. So the goal, I think there um, would be we want to upgrade our house. And honestly, I think it's just the simple things that kind of it's funny. Uh, a lot of people are like, well, what do you want to like, what's your life like? And I'm like, it's so simple now because it was so, so chaotic, right? Like I was so used to crisis and chaos. And I mean, I get that at work. So I kind of almost get like, I guess you can kind of say like my fix of chaos, which <laughs> is something that I'm used to, right? Right. Um, but I get to go home and just kind of have like time with my children and do simple things that I, I think a lot of people, I don't want to say take for granted, but in a sense, like, I think I took for granted, um, you know, going for walks with my family and, and I guess just being like financially stable, I guess is everybody's really everybody's goal. Um, and having a, like a reliable vehicle and, you know, watching my kids, in sports you know those are just kind of just the simple things I think is kind of where my I'm happy with my life um heading yeah I, I think uh your experience in life uh like the way you kind of grew up and just trying to figure life out for yourself and kind of being on your own and then going to jail and prison and being institutionalized I think that like it's some of the smaller things in life that you'll probably appreciate the most. Like, like you said, going for walks with your family, like a lot of people just take those kind of things for granted, you yeah. know, like, like, Oh, I'll walk with them another day or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it's so easy to take those things for granted. But I think somebody who has an appreciation of being able, I guess, like somebody who is told you cannot do this, you cannot do that. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. Like, I could imagine that just going for a walk and not being told, you know, yeah. that you can or can't would be a huge deal. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it's funny. I have um, a group of friends that 
we all kind of have some kind of history and we all kind of know each other from our past and we all now have, you know, we all have children and we're all married. So it's really quite nice to have that, that connection as well. And we're kind of just, I, I guess you could say kind of catching up on life, you know, like we're just, Hey, let's get our kids together and have like a, a birthday party. And it's just, it's just nice. That's cool. Now, do you plan on, um, like, like telling your kids some of the things that you had gone through to like help them and help, like, I guess, essentially teach them, like, you don't want to go down this path because I went down this path. Is that something that you're, you're going to teach? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely don't want to, I don't want to shelter my kids. I think I want to be really, um, like not too much blunt and like age appropriate kind of stuff. right? Right. But just kind of like that, that understanding of like, Hey, you know, like I've, I've been there, you know, I've done the partying and um, you know, this is kind of where it leads you. And, you know, I really want to highlight like different drugs when they're, when they're at a certain age and just be like, Hey, like these drugs, no go. Like, it's just don't even, yeah, (laughs) don't even bother. I can tell you all about it myself, you know? And, and, and it's scary nowadays too, because I think drugs are a lot different from, from when I was 15, you know, a lot of substances, um, right now, you know, with fentanyl basically being cut and everything it's it's so much more scarier right you can think you're doing ecstasy or mdma or whatever and it could just be cut with so many different things so i i think that even pushes me even more so to want to be um just really honest with my children and you know let them ask questions if need be now oh go ahead oh sorry i was just gonna say i have a brother I was hoping would learn kind of some of my life lessons but he's um he's living his own life experiences right now and I kind of just want to slap him and say like (laughs) why didn't you learn from me (laughs) but it's like he needs to learn on his own too and I I guess I'm gonna have to go through that with my kids too right but I want to do everything that I can yeah Um, I mean I mean it's it's your job as a parent especially to just teach your kids you know what what essentially is right and wrong and the dangers of certain things. And, um, that, but that's all you can do. You can't, you can't control what they're going to do. They're going to do what they're going to do. Um, and the more you try to control it, the more it's going to push them away to want to try to do it even more. Um, now my, my question, I was going to interrupt you earlier, but my, my question, uh, is, I don't know how Canada is, but I know with the United States, there's a huge push to legal legalize drugs. Um, like, marijuana is pretty much legalized everywhere um and i I know in certain parts of the country there's uh, a full legalization i think of most drugs how does and i don't know how canada is on this um are they like this for one is that i guess that's my first question are they i feel like they should be i think that um alberta is a little bit different but i definitely think like bc has uh they're a little bit more ahead of us um, I, 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 there's conversations around it. Um, but yeah, I think that, I don't know how the States are with like the fentanyl, like the opioid crisis, but is it like as bad as it is here? Yes. It's terrible. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would imagine it's probably just as bad, if not worse, because it comes across the Mexican border, comes into right. the United States, gets distributed and then gets redistributed into Canada too, as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's pretty bad. Um, but like my, my question was, is how does, I mean, you obviously said you believe all drugs should be legalized. Mm-hmm. Being somebody who struggled with addiction and abuse of drugs, mm-hmm. how do, why, why, why would you say that? 
for me, I, it, it depends on like what really like legalizing drugs is going to look like. I think like, um, drug possession and stuff. I, I, I don't know for me, um, because I do work with a lot of people and I have responded to quite a few overdoses, um, and everything like that. I definitely think like a different approach, um, other than, uh, what we're currently doing, um, would be, I think anything better than what we're doing now, I don't think that we're doing enough. Um, I think that, you know, having detox centers and treatment centers, I think are really a high risk for people, especially in opiate um, substance use. And for the reason behind that is because people are going to, you know, detox and let's say they go for a week and then they get back out and then they end up using again while their tolerance level is now down to here and then right. they overdose, right? So I just think that if there's steps that we can take to make handling like the opioid crisis better, I don't know um, what that might look like with um, legalizing substance. I think like controlled, controlled substance use, I think would be really beneficial. And I think that's something that they're talking about in BC. Um, yeah, I think that's important to kind of note too, because uh, no matter what these people are going to use, right? Um, it's whether or not they're going to do it, they're going to obtain them legally. I mean, obviously most of it's illegally, yeah. um, but they're abusing these things and they're essentially going to use needles that are not, not good to use. They're going to, mm -hmm. um, overdose, but if they can do it in like a controlled climate and a controlled environment, then, you know, at least you're kind of maintaining, like, they're not going to just die it's safe supply at that point, right? So right. really, I think that that's true harm reduction, right? Because we're saying, you know, I don't think that you can really be true harm reduction without having safe supply, right? Because right now we have people who are cooking stuff in their bathtub or whatever that looks like. And, you know, <laughs> people are consuming this, right? So if we had like a controlled supply, I think that it would help mitigate a lot of, um, obviously, all, well, if it was controlled supply and they were doing it properly, I think it would mitigate a ton of um, accidental overdoses. So, um, and me being, I think like an ex-addict and stuff, I, I have uh, dabbled in uh, opiates myself and um, that was kind of before everything kind of got a little bit more scary with the fentanyl and stuff. But I think if I knew that I was using cleaner substances, like I think it, for me, even it would be uh, less scary. I could only imagine it could be so scary for people who need to use and they're addicted and their body's addicted and they're kind of just picking up off of whoever, knowing that they're taking a risk and knowing that they might overdose, right? Like that, that's got to be really, really scary for them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, is there anything else you'd like to talk about or bring up on the podcast before we wrap it up? I think we've been going for almost an hour, right? Yeah, I think we did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know that I can really think of anything. I think we kind of highlighted quite a bit. Um, yeah. So I would like to wrap the podcast up. I don't know. It's kind of putting you on the spot, but could you think of maybe like some sort of quote or some sort of phrase or something that some sort of mantra maybe that you live by that you'd like to put on the podcast, like as some sort of uh, like inspiration or motivation for others? Oh, <gasps> um... I know that puts you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think. Um, I kind of live by. Is there like a phrase that you say, like, um, like for instance, uh, a friend of mine, he always says, "Be the best you." 
and then he might explain why he says that or something yeah um I, I don't know I think I don't really have a, a saying per se but I think something for me is uh, one of the things I say always to my staff is just kind of just make sure that we're walking beside people I think it's the biggest thing like when we're dealing with people who are going through substance use and everything like that is uh, let's not walk ahead of them or behind them kind of pushing them in a direction we expect them to go the biggest thing is like just remember to walk beside people and you know everybody's on their own journey um and I think if we set like unrealistic expectations for people that's kind of when we set people up for failure um so that's kind of like my mantra at work so yeah I love that that's actually a really good um that's a really good way to end the podcast and I think that a lot of times when, and it doesn't even have to deal with drug addiction, but whenever somebody's doing something that frustrates you, like they, let's say they just want to get, they want to like just start working out and they, then they, you see them off eating a cheeseburger. It's like, dude, what are you doing? Like you said, you're going to do this, but that's you setting higher expectations for them than what they're setting for, for themselves. And I think it's very easy to, to do that. And it, it, it sets your relationship, your relationship up for failure. Mm -hmm. So that's very, that's a very important um, point. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, all right. Uh, so your TikTok page, where can people find that? What yes. is your, what is your TikTok? What's your Facebook, Instagram, all that jazz? Yeah, absolutely. So my TikTok is lived experience leader. And then, so yeah, you can find me on there. And then my podcast is the silenced prisoner. I love that. And where do you uh, upload those episodes to? I'm still working on them, but I will look to upload them on Spotify. Okay. All right. Cool. And do you interview people? Are you going to interview people? I have no idea. It's kind of just a, I'm not sure. Maybe I'll have to learn some things from you. I'll have to reach out to you. So I kind of, <laughs> <laughs> it's just going to start by like telling my story and just see where it leads me. So that that's awesome that's a good way to start because i mean it'll take so many turns like you'll be like whoa why did i why did i interview that person or <laughs> like how did how did i get to that point that or you know i should have been over here but that's kind of how i started the podcast i i started it with the intent to just interview people who were like in foster care and had overcome things and then now i'm interviewing like politicians and getting canceled for it so <laughs> <laughs> yeah see that's so cool though yeah. Yeah. No, it's important to just kind of take it wherever it goes. So yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you for doing the podcast and uh, it's been great talking to you. Awesome. Thank you. Yep.